You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, So, the question of the weekend. Was Hugh Grant fucking with us, or what? Hugh Grant, British film star, male lead in pretty much every romantic comedy made in the 1990s and the 2000s, Notting Hill, Love Actually, About a Boy, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Nine Months, Sense and Sensibility, I Could Go On, Hugh Grant, who played the lovable, shy, bumbling, but hot English guy with floppy hair that women dream about or are socialized to dream about, With the occasional foray into playing the cad, as Grant did in Bridget Jones' diary, Hugh Grant, that Hugh Grant, told an interviewer over the weekend that he's into S&M. Well, I've been heavily into S&M for, I don't know, 20 years now. I think so long as you have, if you have safe words, it's fun. Hugh Grant said that into a microphone standing next to Chris Pine, who was beaming at him. While they were on the red carpet together at Comic-Con in San Diego, where they were promoting a new movie they're both in called Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. That movie is based on the popular role-playing game, of course, Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, obviously, a game also known as D&D, which is not to be confused with S&M, which one of Grant's other co-stars, Michelle Rodriguez, said Grant regularly confused D&D with S&M while they were making the film. So, was Grant telling us the truth. Grant has a wicked sense of humor, as anyone who follows him on Twitter knows, so he may have been joking. But joking doesn't mean he wasn't also telling the truth. He could have been doing that thing, that thing people sometimes do, where they tell the truth in the form of a joke. Someone admits to something publicly, maybe gets off on the admission, but frames the admission as a joke so they still have plausible deniability. That is definitely a thing that kinky people have done. It's also a thing vanilla people do a lot. Hell, it's a thing that people who've been accused of cheating and are actually guilty of cheating sometimes do. Yes, honey, I fucked Susie from accounting. I fucked her every day right there on the reception desk in front of everybody at the office. Yeah, that's something someone who fucked Susie from accounting might have said to convince their partners they hadn't fucked Susie from accounting by making it sound ridiculous. Getting back to Grant, if I had to choose sides, Team Hugh Grant meant it or Team Hugh Grant was just fucking with us, I'm going to go with Team Hugh Grant was just fucking with us. The tell for me is the way Grant says safe word. He puts the emphasis on the wrong syllable. He says safe words. Let's play that little bit of tape back. If you have safe words, it's fun. Someone who's been doing S&M for 20 years, they don't say safe words like that. Just like a gynecologist with 20 years experience doesn't say cervix. Or an out gay dude doesn't talk about cocksucking. It's safe word, not safe word. As Grant would know if he had ever actually been in a position to have to use one. In other things that happened on the internet this week, Megan Murphy, controversial feminist writer and podcaster, banned from Twitter after being accused of transphobia, not groundlessly, and restored to Twitter by Elon Musk, which is not exactly a badge of honor. Megan Murphy tweeted this over the weekend. Honest question, why keep porn? So many of society's worst problems are connected to or amplified by porn use and the porn industry. 
from pedophilia to sexual assault to plain bad sex. Why not just make it illegal? Full stop. I don't think Murphy was joking in the same way Grant was joking. I think Murphy is serious or semi-serious, although I think Murphy is too smart not to know that banning porn is impossible. I think her tweet was more thought experiment than policy proposal or joke. Like those novels that come out every once in a while that try to imagine a world without men and what that would be like, Murphy wonders what a world without porn would be like. Setting aside the fact that porn does not contribute to sexual violence, just not true. Bad sex, I do think porn can contribute to bad sex, a warped idea about what sex is or what might be expected of you or what you have a right to expect. Yeah, porn can distort. I would personally like there to be less gonzo porn out there. And as I discussed today with my guest, Samantha Cole, fewer kids exposed to porn before they can distinguish between porn and reality or more kids getting comprehensive sex education that included pornography before they inevitably encountered pornography on the internet. But here's the thing about banning porn. People like porn, not just men people, women people too. And as we've learned in the last 20 years, not just watching it, once people had phones with cameras in their pockets, people started making, starring in, and sharing their own porn. Some for money, most for fun. If I had to guess, and since I don't think this is something that's been studied, I'm going to have to guess, I'd say 80% of the porn made now is made by people who get off on making and sharing their own. So, you want to ban porn? You wouldn't just have to ban porn. You would have to take people's smartphones away from them, because that's where most of the porn comes from these days. Not evil commercial pornographers, average people. Average hot people who want to monetize their average hotness and average average people. Some hot by conventional standards of hotness and some hot by unconventional standards of hotness who just really want to share. And that's good. Real porn made by real people sharing the sex they really enjoy. The more of that kind of porn that people share privately or publicly, the more accurate a picture of human sexuality porn presents to us in all its variety and all its humanity. And not only would it be impossible to ban that kind of porn, you wouldn't want to ban it because that kind of porn is not part of the problem. It's part of the solution. All right. Did you hear my interview with Ezra Klein last week? I was honored to be invited onto Ezra Klein's podcast to chat about how dating and relationships have changed over the last 30 years, the sexual revolution, the rise of dating apps, out gay people and straight people knowing out gay people, the normalization of ethical non-monogamy kinks. We talked about everything. You can listen to The Ezra Klein Show and my episode with Ezra Klein wherever you get your podcasts. And on this podcast, on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast this week, tons of your cues, lots of my A's. And on the Magnum Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savage.love, Samantha Cole, author of How Sex Changed the Internet and the Internet Changed Sex, joins me. We talk about the early days of the internet, how furries helped create and shape the web, Fosta, Sesta, porn, and more. All that coming up on today's show. Hey, Dan, I am calling because my husband and I are having a very hard time with our in-laws at the moment. We have been in a long-term relationship for 14 years, married for 10, but we have two children, and we decided to open our marriage about five months ago. 
And it's been actually really amazing. And I mean, feels like the happiest we've been in a very long time. We're more in love and more communication than we ever have been. But we were outed to his parents by his sisters. And I shouldn't be shocked that people are threatened, but her reaction is so vile and so hateful talking about my sloppy pussy (laughs) and just like insane, insane hateful shit. And she absolutely does not hear us when we're saying that, you know, this is a good thing. This is helping us be stronger and more in communication and actually more present with our children. And she's actually like, that is the sticking point for me that really bothers me is that she's like, your kids are going to be irreversibly fucked up from this. You don't know what you're doing. She has a lot of issues herself, but obviously it's it's really hateful and she's threatening to separate us from the rest of the family. I mean, that's just his side, but it seems so ridiculous to me that she would extradite us from the family over a lifestyle choice and very obviously similar to maybe how other coming out for other identities has been over the years. But how do you deal with this? Uh, we're trying to come at it with love, but also boundaries. But then also, I do have insecurities about creating safe and, you know, normalizing this for a safe environment and normalizing this for our kids. I would hope your in-laws, if forced to choose between you and your husband and your open relationship or polyamorous relationship and his deranged sister with your sloppy pussy text messages or emails or phone calls or however she's delivering sloppy pussy messages to you, that his family would err on the side of picking you guys in the open, healthy, poly relationship. They would pick the pair that isn't lobbing horrible insults at another member of the family. But family being family, apples being apples, trees being trees, it's entirely possible that your husband's sister fell not very far from your husband's parents and they share your sister-in-law's attitude toward your open or polyamorous relationship. And she could drive a wedge into your ability to be a part of the family or your husband's extended family to be a part of your family. And then the choice shifts to you guys. What would you rather have? Your own freedom, your own choices, your own lives, your relationships with other people in your consensually, ethically non-monogamous relationship, or this whole collection of shitty people if your mom and dad-in-law are anything like your sister-in-law. I think given a choice between me and my husband and the other people that we choose to be in relationship with, uh, romantic relationships, sexual relationships, and judgy, horrible, shaming, awful, biological family, not logical family, as Armistead Malpin would say, I would choose my husband and anybody we wanted to be with. And I would tell my sister-in-law, if I were in your shoes, to go fuck herself, to go fuck her own sloppy-ass pussy. That's what I would do. Now, the limbs we're talking about sawing off here are your husband's. Your husband's biological family. But if your husband's going to be in relationship with you, going to be married to you, if you're going to be his immediate next of kin and you're going to create a life and a family together, well, then he has to choose you. He already has chosen you, but he has to make it clear to his family of origin that he has chosen you 
over them in that you come first. You are his first priority and you'd like, he'd like, of course, his family of origin, mom and dad and siblings to be along for the ride and a part of his life. But if they put him in a position where he has to choose between them and you, he's going to choose you. And if he doesn't choose you, I would be very concerned if I were in your shoes. There are studies out there. They're easily Googled children in polyamorous families. There's metadata that's been mined that show that there are advantages and disadvantages. And there's a lot of really good advice in the research and the data about how parents can control for the disadvantages that may come with having parents in polyamorous relationships. A lot of the disadvantages are tied to stigma, judgment, shame, and the closet, which aren't your fault when you're in a polyamorous relationship. That is being inflicted on you. One of the challenges, of course, in a polyamorous family relationship is polyamory is complicated and requires a bit more juggling. And when your kids are young, particularly when your kids are, I think, under five, six, seven years old, parenting is kind of an exhausting relay race. If you're in established polyamorous relationships, having more adults around on hand to help with that incredibly stressful time can be good. But if you have young kids and either or both of you are out there dating or actively seeking other partners, which can bring new relationship energy, can also bring heartbreak if a new relationship with somebody else ends, that can create a distraction from what should be your primary focus when your kids are very young, which are your kids and the partner or partners that you decided to have kids with in the first place. You kind of got to go to the mattresses for a little bit when your kids are very young. Doesn't mean there aren't people out there who are poly, who when their kids were young, got into new relationships. It's just a higher degree of difficulty when your kids are very young and it comes with more risk. And that shit about kids can't handle their parents being poly, it's just bullshit. It's the exact same thing that used to be thrown at same-sex couples. And, you know, with the way things are going culturally right now, it's probably going to begin being thrown at same-sex couples again in about 10 minutes that we couldn't parent because it would confuse our kids. Our kids are never confused about gay, lesbian parents and what that means. People project their own discomfort with gay sexuality onto children to justify their bigotry and to avoid having to examine and unpack and let go of their bigotry. Same shit happens to couples in open or polyamorous relationships. People are uncomfortable with open or polyamorous relationships to begin with. And then when that couple who's open or poly has kids, people are like, aha, here is our opportunity to project onto those kids who are not confused or being harmed and in some significant ways are being benefited by their parents being in polyamorous relationships to project onto those kids our bigotry and to justify it and to avoid unpacking it by projecting it onto those kids, by claiming we're riding in on the white horse to save the kids from their parents' quote-unquote lifestyles. Yeah, sorry this is happening to you. This is a thing that sometimes happens to people who open their relationships. Shitty family find out and behave in deeply shitty ways. But shitty people that you happen to be related to by blood or through marriage don't have to be a part of your life. You can cut them the fuck out. And if your sister-in-law doesn't knock this shit off, I would advise you 
to do just that. Hi, Dan. This is a pan poly lady from Texas. And years ago, you referenced an ovipositor dildo. Me and my friends would like to know what happens to the eggs after they are deposited into a person? Well, in the person's fantasy, they hatch inside them. And I guess then alien parasites eat them from the inside out. They are the hosts for these eggs. An ovipositor is a kind of dildo that looks like a strange alien dick. And you can push through eggs. So you can lay eggs in somebody with an ovipositor. People have fantasies about getting it on with aliens or being inseminated or having alien eggs implanted to them. They like ovipositor dildos. Also, some people like ovipositor dildos just from the sensation of having that dildo in them that then more gets pumped into them through the dildo. What happens to the eggs laid in someone using an ovipositor dildo? Well, some people, some ovipositors, come with molds and you make the eggs out of a certain kind of gelatin. So the eggs dissolve and then are crapped out. <laughs> They're evacuated eventually. Other people use a solid egg, a silicone egg, which of course is a little risky because that can climb up there. You don't want to use something that doesn't have a flared base. Some people who have good control and are confident about and I don't recommend this. I recommend putting nothing in your butt that doesn't have a flared base. Please have pity on the overstressed, overworked people in the ERs. But some people will put pool balls in their butts and then push them in, push them out. They have that kind of control. So that kind of person, and I think somebody using an ovipositor, maybe somebody who's had some experience with anal, extensive experience with anal and toys and some confidence about their capabilities – you can use silicone eggs that are deposited in you with the ovipositor and then you push back out. The thing about an ovipositor though, and this is all book learning. This is like me talking about cunnilingus. Never been there, but I can describe. I've read all the travel guides. The thing about ovipositors is they can be deep. And so you're depositing those eggs, those fake eggs, deep inside yourself or someone else, which means that those silicone egg-shaped toys without flared bases are a little riskier to use because they're further up the person when you remove the ovipositor dick dildo alien schlong. So I would recommend instead going with the whip it up in the kitchen gelatin eggs that even if they're way up there and you can't immediately get them out are going to dissolve and run out your butt eventually. This episode is brought to you by Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic, sexy characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. Like this one. When Sebastian invited me to his costume party, I had a feeling things might get a little wild. So when the stranger who'd been watching us all night walked in on us in a private room, I decided to see just how far I could take it. This kicks off a threesome series, and there are 13 stories with these same characters, so if you like it, there's a lot. It's radically inclusive. Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners, and 56% of the stories are voice acted by people of color, and the voices are simply delicious. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. 
They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy stories you can read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or heat things up with a partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy's offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash savage. Dipsystories.com slash savage. Do it. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at Rescue. I'm a cis woman in my mid-30s and married to a man. My question is actually about an ex-boyfriend. In my mid-20s, I dated a guy for two years. He was bisexual. I didn't know this when we started dating. About six months into our relationship, he told me that he hooked up with one of his guy friends in college. This was a straight guy that we often hung out with. Um, And my ex said that he was sexually attracted to penises, but only emotionally attracted to women. I was 23 at the time of him telling me this, and my reaction was terrible. I got really upset and was like, oh, that's weird. Ugh, I don't know. I don't want to know that. And just really came out kind of squicked out and grossed out by it. It wasn't until a year after we broke up, I started listening to your podcast and completely changed my views on basically everything I know about sex and how I judge other people. And I felt terrible about my reaction to him for years. Recently, I was having dinner with some girlfriends. One of my friends there is a bisexual woman and married to a woman. I was telling her about my ex-boyfriend and how I regretted my reaction to him and how, you know, he shared his past sexual experiences with me and how I reacted. She strongly encouraged me to reach out to email him to apologize for my past behavior. She told me a similar story where her wife emailed a past partner and that turned out really well. It's something I've thought about doing on and off since we broke up 10 years ago. I wanted to get your thoughts on if you think this is a good idea. It's been three months since my friend recommended I reach out to him. I've gone back and forth on if I should do it and what I should say. My biggest hesitancy is I just don't want it to be about me trying to make myself feel better. I really want it to come off as genuine because I really do feel genuinely about, you know, my actions were wrong. I haven't talked to him in nine years and I could see it being a really strange message for him to get. I know he was dating a woman for many years after we broke up. They might still be together. I'm not totally sure. Um, he may not even use the term bisexual, and I don't want to offend him with labels he doesn't use. So what would you recommend? You should do it. Individual results may vary. Your friend's wife reached out to somebody to apologize, and it was a very positive experience. The person she apologized to appreciated hearing from her, appreciated the apology, and they, I, I infer, briefly connected, and both of them felt better for her having reached out to apologize maybe this guy will react positively. Maybe he will appreciate hearing from you in this way. Maybe not. Individual results may vary. Only one way to find out, which is I think by erring on the side of issuing the apology that you would like to issue. And yeah, we apologize to people often to make ourselves feel better. It's almost impossible to apologize to someone without... I don't want to say centering yourself, but you are at the center of that with that person who deserves the apology. You can't erase yourself from that apology process. You are a part of it and you are motivated to give the apology because you feel empathy for the person who you owe that apology to, but also because you feel some 
inner conflict that you would like to resolve by at the very least issuing the apology. So go the fuck ahead, issue the apology. But you know what you should do? You should do what I haven't done in my response to you. Keep it short. Keep it brief. Don't unpack everything because then you can let him decide if this is something he wants to engage with you on a deeper level. If he wants to unpack it, if he needs to hear more from you than just, hey, Nine years ago when we were dating, you were open and honest with me about your sexuality and I reacted in ignorance and really poorly and now I know better and I wouldn't react the same way now and I just wanted to apologize if I hurt your feelings and I probably did and I'm sorry about that. <laughs> you can transcribe what I just said and cut it in half. Like I said, try to keep it short. Keeping it short, not my specialty. Keep it short, my advice for you right now. You may not hear back from him. You may not hear back from him right away, or you may hear from him immediately. He may tell you that it was no big deal. That may or may not be true. Or he may ask you why you said that then, what you're feeling now, and what's changed. Even if you don't hear back, the temptation is when you, you know, send an apology out there, over the ether to somebody that you feel you owe an apology to and would feel better yourself by issuing that apology and you don't hear back. The temptation is to assume that they reacted badly and that they are angry. And sometimes that's true. And sometimes a person appreciates hearing it, but doesn't want to further engage. So I think you can, rather than assume if you don't hear back that you shouldn't have issued the apology, just assume that the apology that you issued was welcomed, even if the person doesn't want to talk with you about it anymore. None of this advice applies in a situation of abuse. If you were abusive, please don't reach the fuck out back to somebody you manipulated or abused emotionally or physically. They probably don't want to hear from you. Getting help shouldn't be a challenge. Talkspace is so convenient and so accessible. With Talkspace, you can get mental health care with or without insurance to fit your needs. It's important to prioritize your mental health and wellness every day because when you work on yourself, you will start to see and feel positive changes in all areas of your life. The long-term effects of therapy can give you the tools you need to deal with challenges as they arise, strengthen your relationships, and give you a more optimistic outlook on life. There is no better time to invest in yourself than right now. Getting started is the most important part. There's no need to wait until something goes wrong in your life to work with a therapist. Of course, Talkspace is also there to help with any specific challenges you might be facing. It is the number one online therapy platform with thousands of licensed therapists trained in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationships, and more. Work with a therapist to help you set and achieve your goals. Talkspace is in-network with most major insurers. Insured members, on average, pay a $20 copay or less. Make 2023 the year you start therapy. As a listener of this podcast, you will get $100 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash savage. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash savage to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the Lovecast. That's Talkspace.com slash savage. Hi, Dan and the Tech Savvy Youth. 
uh, 44-year-old queer cisgender man, longtime listener here, but calling today for the first time on behalf of a desperate friend. He's uh, in his mid-60s and together slash married to the same guy for 25. They have two teenage boys about to go to college. Uh, my friend's husband is now 80 years old, so their gap is substantial. Over the last few years, the husband's health has deteriorated severely and rapidly. He has required multiple surgeries, nearly constant care, external nursing, which thankfully they can afford. At this point, he's basically stuck at home resting or sleeping most of the day, but still requiring someone's constant care. My friend tries to maintain a semblance of an independent life outside, but between working, taking care of two teens and taking care of his ailing husband, there isn't really much time left. The husband has also managed to scare off every permanent nursing arrangement, uh, leaving him dependent on much less reliable temporary nursing services. The kids help where they can, but he tries not to overburden them, which I understand. Over the holidays, I met my friend for cocktails, and he shared, not for the first time, that he is at the end of his wits and doesn't really know what to do. He's exhausted, bent by the huge responsibility, and in his words, sexless for a whole decade now. Sometimes he finds himself hoping that his husband's medical issues would finally take him and that he regains control of his life. He immediately feels terribly guilty and ashamed of himself for even thinking about this. Uh, I, could, I could see the distress and offer comforting words, telling him that these are all very human thoughts and feelings, especially because none of his own needs as a human being in a relationship are being met. I added also that in this specific case, there is no way out of this, which he acknowledges. He's now the sole provider and caregiver to the kids and to his alien husband. They are financially okay, but life is made of so much more than surviving, and my friend is visibly depleted, lonely, and quite frankly, horny. Uh, it doesn't help that in 25 years together, the husband has consistently slept around with countless other guys, even though they never had an open relationship. So to now find himself celibate not by choice adds insult to injury. As we said goodbye that night, I told him that he needed to get himself on the apps and find himself a nice, serious man to share some God-honest NSA intimate moments with and keep himself going. He contended that he never cheated, so this makes him feel weird, and that he's too old for grinder and scruff, which he's probably right about. So at this point, then, I think I channeled you, and after 20 years listening, uh, I told my friend that you would absolutely give him a pass to go out and do what he needed to do to keep himself sane while in an unhappy marriage that he cannot afford to leave. I told him that he needed to find himself someone GGG, either in similar circumstances or that will understand his circumstances and perhaps consider taking up a man as a friend with benefits or something of the sort, provided that it's mutually interesting, respectful, alluring. I even offered to set up his profiles. In despair, or perhaps because he actually wants to be convinced, he told me if I had a list, he would go for it. The question is then, what are these apps? Where are senior gay men meeting online, not necessarily to live together, but for sex? Your friend's situation is a perfect illustration of something I frequently say, a perfect example of where this advice applies. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do to stay married and stay sane. And sometimes cheating is in the best interests of all involved, of everyone implicated, which in this case, in your friend's case, would include his kids. He needs to get certain of his needs met so that he can be the parent that they need him to be and the caretaker, not really the sex partner, not really even the husband anymore, to his elderly and infirm and aging and dying spouse. And if Finding a little sex on the side, finding some comfort in someone else's arms and some release and intimacy and just skin to skin, human touch, feeding that skin hunger helps him stay sane. Well, then he's going to be a better parent and he's going to be a better caretaker 
to his ailing husband. Sounds like you already talked him into this. There's an app called Daddy Hunt. If he's into younger men who are into older men, he can get on Daddy Hunt or one of the apps that are designed for younger men seeking older men and vice versa. But there are older guys. There are guys in their 60s on Scruff and on Grinder and on Sniffies and all the other gay hookup apps. And if you're going to create accounts for him, I think you should move on all fronts. If he's seeking someone his own age, well, guys his own age will see him being honest about his age on Grinder or Scruffies or whatever the regular gay hookup app might be and respond to him. If he'd like to be with somebody younger, he can get on one of the daddy hunt ones. Just be really clear about his circumstances that he's not looking to date, but might be looking for an ongoing connection with somebody else who may be in a similar circumstance or only have limited time or bandwidth available and would like a regular fuck buddy. It's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do for your friend, what you're doing for him, the advice you're giving him, the offer you made him to set up the apps for him. And it's the right thing for your friend to do for himself. And paradoxically, and in a way that breaks a lot of people's brains when I say it, the right thing to do for his husband and for his kids. Hi, Dan. I had a question about terminology. I recently got into a an internet argument, not surprising, with a group of folks who claim that a trans man who is attracted to women is straight. And I posited, being a bit older, that for me, straight is uh, opposite uh, queer. And being under the queer umbrella, uh, trans men would be hetero, but I wouldn't use the word straight. That's personal preference what I use anyway, but they seem to take uh, a lot of offense and call me transphobic for not granting trans men the right to be straight. I was wondering if you could weigh in. Not granting trans men the right to be straight. Straight trans men aren't standing around waiting for you to step out under the balcony of St. Peter's and grant them the right to be straight. So I think your friend, by accusing you of being transphobic, is being a little dramatic you haven't stopped anybody who's queer and straight from identifying as queer and straight and yes some people do identify as queer and straight that umbrella that queer umbrella which when you read the flyers passed out at the queer pride parade in 1990 in new york announcing the formation of queer nation and really popularizing from that moment on the use of the word queer you read that flyer and it's only talking about gays and lesbians not even bisexual people not trans people and that umbrella rightly so, has expanded and grown and grown. And sometimes it feels like half the world can crowd under that umbrella now. There are people out there who identify as queer because they are demisexual, which means they can't experience sexual attraction in the absence of an emotional connection. They're 100% attracted to opposite-sex partners. They are heterosexual but demisexual and therefore in the shade of, at the very edges of that shade of the queer umbrella. There are poly people who identify as queer because they're poly. There are kinky people who identify as queer because they're kinky. There's a lot of, I don't know, blur at the margins of the shade thrown by that queer umbrella. And yeah, trans people, trans men and women who are attracted 
to opposite gender partners can and do identify as straight and it's their right and their choice to identify as straight and identifying as straight as a trans person doesn't mean they're any less queer. They are not cis, they are het. And so, yeah, they are queer. And so is everybody else. That's the rate we're going. Pretty soon everybody's going to be queer and won't that be a marvelous day. And when that day comes, we can stop debating how many sexual orientations and gender identities fit on the head of this pin. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and youth. I'm a bi-poly cis woman and I'm having a responsive desire issue with one of my partners who's a cis straight man. He was born again religious in his teens through his early 20s, so his sexual experience just started way later than average and with a lot of shame. He's also had a compulsive relationship with porn for most of his life to escape problems and numb out during stressful times, sometimes for hours of searching and masturbating a day. This has affected our relationship in lots of ways over 10 years of us being together, lying, secrets, gaslighting to hide and continuous habits, feeling less attracted to me physically, becoming lazy about turning me on for sex, and also really entitled to sex or grabbing my body whenever he wants. We've made so much progress over the last couple of years. We communicate about feelings and stress better. He's improved his relationship to masturbation and fantasy, and his porn entitlement hasn't been sneaking in nearly as much. We've always connected really easily in all other ways, so I've been really hopeful that we can solve the intimacy part together. But when we try to have sex, it's just not working. He's always had issues with nervousness making him lose erections, and he just turned 40, so it might be a little bit biological now as well. He gets really self-conscious about making choices and taking the lead during sex, which means I've been taking on most of the effort of driving for many years. And sometimes, in a way that I can actually really relate to, having sex with me reminds him that I have hot sex with my other romantic partners, which triggers jealousy. All of this means he needs a lot of reassurance that I really want him and I'm really excited to have sex with him. But after supporting him through porn addiction and being hurt and lied to and gaslit every few months, it doesn't seem fair that I have to cheerlead his, his boner. He can't seem to remember what feels good on my body, what gets me off, and what doesn't doesn't tickle. And I'm just not super excited to have sex with him. It started to feel like a lot of work when I don't get a lot of pleasure out of it. I've been lucky to have really incredible sexual chemistry and really loving and connected sexy experiences with past and current male partners over the last couple years of being polyamorous. So the contrast is kind of hard to avoid. I really love him. I really want to get our sex life in a healthy place. We talk about all of these feelings and triggers together in an open and loving way before, after sex dates. When we get in that bed, none of the talking helps. Our brains and bodies are just not on the same wavelength. We've been trying lots of things other than PNV, mutual masturbation, outer course, teasing, lap dances and lingerie, fun stuff like that. But the confidence and the trust issues are still there, even when we aren't relying on a hard dick. Do you have any advice for how to break out of this pattern? I feel like I've been lost in this struggle for too long. I need fresh ideas on what we can try. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to look what the thing you haven't tried is breaking the fuck up with this guy. It's been a decade, a decade of work, 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 work. Relationships are work and people are worth some effort, but there's gotta be some limit. And 
I wanted to break up with you by the end of this call and I'm never going to see you. Like, we're not in a relationship. <laughs> Look, lady, just end this relationship. The problem that a lot of polyamorous people sometimes have Monogamous people can be too quick to end relationships. Polyamorous people sometimes don't know when to de-acquisition a partner that it isn't working out for. To be poly doesn't mean you never can end a relationship or that you failed at poly if you have to let one of your partners go because they're lying to you and gaslighting you and are incapable, it seems, of pleasuring you. You have done your screw diligence. You tried. You may now end this relationship. Let him go jack off to porn if that's how he most likes to express his sexuality, if that's what's most gratifying for him. Let him go be the porn addict that he was born to be. But stop wasting your time and stop wasting your pussy. Stop wasting my time on this guy. Break the fuck up with him. I've seen this with other polyamorous people where they feel like ending a relationship means they failed at polyamory. That polyamory is just about acquiring. Like you're the Metropolitan Museum and it's shameful to sell a Rembrandt. You can fucking sell this and this guy is not a Rembrandt. He is not a masterpiece. You can auction him the fuck off. And there may be somebody out there that he'll click with sexually in a way that he never clicked with you and you are occupying a certain amount of time and bandwidth and demanding from him a certain amount of effort that is preventing him from finding a partner where it will require less effort or being alone if he would be happier alone. You have other sex partners that you have better sex with. You can be this guy's friend and stop fucking him. Please, God. Stop fucking him. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's dive into some listener feedback. Christopher on Facebook thinks a loving gangbang, something a recent caller was looking to arrange for herself, sounds like a good album title. Me, I think it sounds like a great title for a musical. A Little Night Music, A Funny Thing Happened to Me on the Way to the Forum, A Loving Gangbang. I would definitely listen to that cast album. Tim posted this comment about last week's Savage Lovecast at savage.love regarding Dan's remarks on the death of Pope Benedict. What the vicar of Christ thinks or believes about my sex life means nothing to me. Accepting church members, the world should ignore any Pope's pronouncements on the issue. But the Catholic Church's protection for pederastic priests is evil. Any community that doesn't prosecute child abuse is evil. Uh, Greed. And finally, Kate heard my interview on Ezra Klein's podcast and couldn't get all the way through it before she had to write to me to say, oh my God, I am listening to your interview with Ezra Klein as I type my two favorite podcasts to listen to in one. You may never read this, Dan, but as a cis heterosexual woman, I can credit you and your column and your podcast for many orgasms. You let me know I can ask for what I want, that what I want isn't gross or weird, like a vibrator to make me come, and I can walk away from anyone who thinks otherwise. Thank you, Dan. You are welcome, Kate. And not only did I read your message, I read your message aloud. All right, if you want me to read your thoughts aloud on an upcoming Savage Lovecast, reach out to us on Facebook, reach out to me on Instagram. I'm at Dan Savage there. And you can leave comments on Savage Love the Column and Savage Lovecast, the podcast at savage.love. All right, listener response calls. Hey, Dan. I'm calling with a comment regarding the poly couple where 
once a month, the girl, I think he described her as a werewolf. Um, it sounds to me like she has PNDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. I actually was diagnosed with it this summer. It is a form of intense PMS. The way my doctor described it to me is your hormones change so suddenly that your body almost goes through an allergic reaction. And it's marked by like huge mood swings. Um, for me, I would have severe, severe anxiety. It got, honestly, for a lot of women, it gets to a really dark place. Um, but in my research, I learned a lot of women get intense, intense anger. So um, I would suggest that the caller maybe bring this up with her, uh, with his partner, and see if she might want to get her hormones checked out because there are medications that will alleviate this stuff. So, yeah, good luck to them. To the caller in podcast 846, who's dating the crossdresser, obviously you know him better than we do, but is it possible that he's asexual? Uh, you don't talk about whether he's had this problem with his with his erectile dysfunction in any past relationships or anything like that. Uh, Dan didn't mention it, but it is possible that he simply can't be attracted to you, and he might not even realize it. I have a friend that's about your age who only realized that she's asexual just a couple of years ago. So he might be ace and doesn't realize it, but maybe realizes on some level that you know he's not attracted to you and he thinks that his level of libido is normal, which is why he won't go to the doctor. And you might just have to break up with him because it really does sound like he just can't give you what you need regardless. Hey, Dan, just a comment about this week's episode, January 14th. Definitely going to be a lot of feasting of ass. It's Mid-Atlantic Leather Weekend in D.C. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of feasting. And we're going to leave it there. We have a new way for you to record your questions or comments for the Lovecast. Just go to savage.love slash askdan on your phone or your computer, and you can record and upload your questions and comments directly. You can also use the voice memo app on your phone to record your question or comment and email it to us at q at savage.love or call us mob bell style at 206-302-2064. I will be doing an AMA this Thursday at noon Pacific at savage.love. AMA, of course, stands for Ask Me Anything, as I think everyone already knows. If you want to ask me something, if you want to ask me anything at all, join us. It kicks off this Thursday, January 19th, noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Just go to the Savage Love column feed at savage.love, savage.love slash savagelove to join me for this very first AMA I've literally ever done, which is weird. You'd think I would have done an AMA by now, but I haven't. I am doing my first this Thursday. Follow me on Instagram at Dan Savage. Follow me at Post News at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Samantha Cole on Twitter at Sam Lee Cole and get her book, How Sex Changed the Internet and the Internet Changed Sex and Unexpected History, wherever books are sold. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week on installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.